Let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy again, chapter 4. We got down through verse 8, where Paul was saying that he would receive a crown of righteousness, and he said, there's one waiting for all those also that love his appearing, that he'll give us a crown. And that's what Paul's final testimony was that he was facing death and he was now ready to be offered, and he's now ready to go to his reward. And this encourages us to receive our own reward and be desirous to, when the time comes in our life that we spent this time, uh, our years, as the Bible says in Psalms, as a tale that is told. And by the way, the Bible says something about three score and ten years old at 70, and if by reason of strength they be four score, then we can thank God for that. That's 80. Some of us are near that or past that. And so we can thank God as we grow older for every day is of grace and providence. But anyway, there will be a time that we'll face the Lord. And we want to pray that we will also receive our crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give us at that day. Paul says, not to me only, but to all them also that love it, his appearing. Now let's pick up, if you will, please, with the ninth verse. Paul is writing to Timothy, Paul's second imprisonment in Rome, in a Roman prison, and this time it would end his life. And that's why he said, I'm now ready to be offered, poured out as a libation, as a drink offering. And he says, the time of my departure is at hand. Under Nero, he knew he was going to die. So in verse 9, he's telling Timothy to come to him. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He wanted a visit from young Timothy. Timothy was first bishop of the church of Ephesus at this time, and yet Paul wanted him to come and visit him. And he gives a lot of details here, concluding the last days of his life. And he says in verse 10, For Demoth has forsaken me, having loved this present war, world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. He speaks of Demas as one that had loved this present world. Sometimes in the epistles, this present world is really uh, the referring not to you and I would talk about this present world being a worldly life, but maybe loving Judaism or the Jews and loving the present system of this world, which Paul was convinced he, he had to leave and to be uh, one that would declare the grace of God instead of put people back under the law. And we don't know that that's all the implication or that that's the exact implication. But we know that John speaks of this world as that which it opposes the things of God. And it's, in, it's the world in its antagonism against the true gospel and the truth of God. So when it says having loved this present world, it doesn't mean that he was materialistic minded especially. It doesn't especially mean that he was uh, worldly in his living, like going to, to uh, nightclubs and saloons and things of that nature and places of ill repute. It doesn't mean that, but it means that he had a preference above serving God and that he had forsaken the Apostle Paul. And he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. And then he says, Grecian to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. Now when he says Grecian to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia, we're not told that they're departure from Paul was of any other reason or any specific reason, but they could have been departed on account of their service. We don't know. But it says that they're departed. They, they have gone to 
Galatia and to Dalmatia. And which speaks to those two places, it could be that they were still on their missionary work. But that is, of course, questionable. We don't know why they left. And it could be that they left for other reasons. Maybe they were akin to what Demas was. But he says Demas has forsaken them, having loved this present world. You know, it's a terrible thing when God's people need someone to stand by them, and then those people forsake them. I remember especially in a crisis in my life where Brother Murray prayed for me over the phone, and I appreciated it. I, I still remember it, Brother Bill. I still remember it. And, you know, there are things happen in our lives when we need others to stand by us. And that's what I call a true friend, when they stand by you when you need them. You know that's a real friend? If they'll stand by you when you need them, well, then that's, that is a true friend. We have a lot of these fair weather, fair weather friends, you know. When everything's going fine and everything's rosy and you're prosperous and you're getting along kind of like this, the prodigal son, when he went down to the far country, he had a lot of friends till all of his money was gone. And then he had no one. He ended up feeding the hogs. And he said, no man gave them to me. Evidently, he spent all he had with riotous living, and uh, he ended up with no friends. And, of course, we know the story of the prodigal. He returned back to his father's house. He said, in my father's house are bread and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. He knew where the food was, didn't he? And he knew who would take care of him. Dear old dad always faithful and always there. And our Heavenly Father is the one that, it, it, the indication is our Heavenly Father is always there, ready to receive us. But anyway, as we go on with this story, notice it says, only Luke is with me. Luke, the beloved physician, he's called. Luke, a Greek doctor who had given himself to the care the physical care of the Apostle Paul as well as the spiritual association with him as he went about his missionary journey. And he says, only Luke is with me. Paul had a personal doctor as he went along his way, everywhere he went. That'd be something to have, wouldn't it? He could take care of, Paul could take care of the spiritual needs, basically. Doesn't mean Luke was not spiritual, but it does mean, and by the way, he wrote, Luke wrote the, Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, so he was very spiritual too. A good companion to have, a Christian doctor, isn't it? By the way, it's good to have him today too. And so we find it, he says, only Luke is with me. And he says, take Mark and bring him with thee. He says, go by and get Mark. Go stop by his place and bring him too. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. At one time, Paul, the apostle, and Mark had had a kind of a separation, if you remember, it's recorded in the book of Acts. And there was dissension between them. The Bible says it was so sharp that they went each, each went their way. But evidently, that uh, relationship was restored, and Paul now was glad to have Mark return to, to him. He says he's prof profitable for me, uh, to me for the ministry. And then he says in verse 12, And Tychicus... Have I sent to Ephesus? He probably sent Tychicus. Some of them pronounce it different. He probably sent him to Ephesus to be there while Timothy would come to see him. Because, remember, that's where Timothy was serving. And then it says in verse 13, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Paul wanted not only his coat, because he was in a dungeon. He would need that to keep warm. He says, I need that coat. And he says, furthermore, 
bring with you the books, I still want to be a student. And the parchments, I still want to write. And it could be some of the scriptures were written on the parchments. We don't know what all is involved in the books he's speaking of. Maybe when he speaks of the books, he speaks of more of scripture or whatever. But uh, we know that that parchments were used for writing as well as much of the word was on parchments in those days. There's a question about whichever ones he meant, but whatever he meant, it certainly was that he still wanted to be a student until the day of his death. Someone says, when will we quit studying when you're gone? That is, we should have that attitude. Paul knew that he was ready to be offered. He says, "But oh, Timothy, I want you to come. And he says in verse 9, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Look at verse 9, remember? He wanted him to come quickly, and he also told him what he wanted to bring. So that didn't mean that he was going to waste the last two months, three months, 20 or 30 days, however much time he had left. He wasn't going to waste it. He's still going to be a student and a learner. If you notice that, he says, the books, but especially the parchments. Now look at verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. You know, look at Paul's attitude about someone that had done him much evil. He just says, I'm going to just turn him over to the Lord. I'll let God take care of him. The Lord reward him according to his works. Paul wasn't the kind that would take vengeance. In fact, he knew he had written us in the book of Romans, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And so here he said, Alexander the coppersmith, a certain Alexander, there's several Alexanders, or more than one that we read of in the New Testament. But anyway, he says, he did me much evil. What kind of evil? Paul doesn't go into detail. But he does say the Lord reward him according to his works. I'll just let God take care of that. When someone does you wrong, what are you going to do? Say, I'm going to get even? Or are you going to say, I'm going to turn this over to the Lord? What's your attitude when, when someone does you some hurt or wrong? Your attitude should be, put it in God's hands, right? He can take far better care of it than you can, and he will do what's right. You and I are prejudiced, aren't we? We'd say, I want to do it my way. But God will do it his way, and his way will be the right way. He knows how to handle both good and evil. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. No hiding place. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men. And he sees all about us. And he knows not just the outside. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looketh on the heart. And therefore he knows how properly to judge. And how properly to deal with any situation. Let's go on with this now. Notice what it says. It says uh, in verse 15, Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And the word our words here means our preaching. He's greatly withstood the word of God, and he says, Timothy, I'm just going to give you this warning. Beware of it. doesn't say I'm trying to get even or anything. He says, I want you to be forewarned and forearmed. And it's up to you and I to point out those who would uh, resist the word of God, the truth of God. Then in verse 16, he says, At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Wouldn't it be all awful for to find that we sometimes must be willing to stand alone? It's good if you have someone to stand with you. But sometimes you must be willing to stand. Remember Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, Having done all to stand, and to stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, 
having on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, said, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which uh, is the Word of God. Take the shield of faith to protect you. And so all this Christian armor, and you must be armored in that if you're going to stand alone. You're not going to stand alone without that armor. It's very necessary. But if you have that armor, you can stand, even if it is alone. And if you'll take unto you the whole armor of God, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. We won't take time to go back and read that, but let's look. In verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it not be laid, that it may not be laid to their charge. And then he says in verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles uh, might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Look at all that. In the midst of everything, Paul is saying, though all men forsook him, he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. I used to love a song. We, we've got it here somewhere, and we're going to sing it one of these days. If I can get rich on to it, I don't know which one it is. I mean, which hymn book it's in. But it's Stand By Me, In the Midst of Faults and Failures, Stand By Me. Remember that song? Stand By Me, In the Midst of Tribulation, Stand By Me. It says, In the Midst of Faults and Failures, Stand By Me. Says thou that rulest winds and waters, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou that rulest winds and waters, stand by me. It's a very wonderful hymn. I don't know which one of the books it's in, but we have it in one of them. But I want you to just notice that Paul says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Remember, he was called an apostle to the Gentiles. And he says, And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Some take this to be uh, out of the mouth of, or the hand of Nero, previous to this time. The first time that he was in prison. And now, he knew that the time had come that he would be, uh, he would die. And he says, I'm now ready. You know, Paul was telling Timothy all of this so that he would prepare himself because there were many that had to give their lives during those days of the early church. Paul was among them. The other apostles, one by one, before and after, some before Paul and some after Paul, were martyrs. Almost all of them were. And we find that when he says, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, he might have also meant literally because many of the God's chosen ones were fed to the lions. I don't know how early it started, but I know in days after that they were. But whether you take it literally or from the hand of one of those that were like lions unto him, some emperor, probably Nero, he still meant he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. There are various takes on the last statement there in that 17th verse. I want you to notice again, verse 18 now. It says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, from all evil. The Lord shall deliver me. God had delivered him, and he says he, he's going to. Well, you say, well, God didn't deliver him from, the, from death. Well, he, he was like the three Hebrew children. Remember what they said? They said, Our God is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace, but if not, we will not bow down and worship the image you've set up. I like that word, if not. They were determined to not bow down, sink or swim. They were determined not to bow down, fire or no fire. I mean, they, they stood for what they believed. They could have sacrificed their conscience. They could have saved their situation. 
They could have been delivered by just saying, okay, we'll, we'll bow down before this. What was it to bow down? You know, that wasn't a big thing, was it really? But to them it was, to bow down before an idol. To the three Hebrew children it was a big thing. And by the way, when you're dealing with your conscience, it's a big thing, brother. When the Holy Spirit's convicting you something's wrong, it's a big thing. You may not count it very big, but it is. And the Holy Spirit was convicting these three Hebrew children, you just don't do that. You worship God only, and God's Word had, you know, God's Word brings the conviction. Thou shalt not, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And certainly they were not to worship idols in any form or fashion. Neither are we to be idol worshipers in any form or fashion. And by the way, that, that includes a lot of things that we may not suspect are idols. It may not be an idol of wood or stone, but you know what Paul said about one thing? He said, covetousness is idolatry. <laughs> He's put it very plain. He says there are a lot of idols that are not made of wood or stone. Just the, the thought, just the covetousness is idolatry. And so the thing about it is the three Hebrew children were faithful and they wouldn't bow, bend, or burn, would they? They wouldn't give up. And so they stood for what they believed. If I could turn back there, Daniel, I see I might have a whole sermon outlined in the in the column. I could tell you something about them, just briefly, so you'd know what it is, and then you might preach a sermon on it. Their temptation was to save their situation. Their temptation was to save their situation. And you don't have to turn because I'm not reading the scripture there. And it was to sacrifice their conscience. If they were to save their situation, they'd sacrifice their conscience. Their testimony was faith in the power of God. They said, our God is able to deliver us. And their submission to the will of God. It says, we will not compromise our faith. And for the sake of the friendship of the world or fellowship with the king, nor fear of the consequences, they would not sacrifice their conscience. So I, there's a whole message. And then... The second thing about this, okay, the first thing was their temptation, the second thing was their testimony, and the third thing was their triumph. A new sense of pardon. They found that they were delivered out and set free from the fire furnace, and a new source of fellowship. They had the Lord walking with them in the fire, and a new opportunity for service. And there are verses I could give you on that, 325, 325, and 330. And there's two practical lessons. Be faithful and be fearless. Be faithful and be fearless. And the three Hebrew children had all that going for them, which is a good lesson for you and I. Back in Second Timothy chapter 4, and we'll hurry along. Verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. So the deliverance would finally come from this life into glory. That would be complete deliverance. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, Salute, verse 19, salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Some say Onesiphorus, but Onesiphorus, I guess the best way I know how to pronounce it. Then in verse 20, it says, Erastus abode at Corinth. Now, I want you to notice the last part of verse 20. It's very informing. But Trophimus, and you can find that he's one of Paul's close companions and workers, back in the book of Acts, and we won't give you all the details, but Trophimus, have I left at Miletum sick? Paul, you left one of your dear fellow laborers 
at a certain place in Miletus, and you left him there, a sick person? Someone said, well, I thought the apostles would just heal everybody. The apostles didn't heal everybody all the time. They did not work miracles of healings every time you turned around. But only as God chose that particular instance for them to do that miraculous work. So some would say, well, Apostle Paul healed all the sick. Well, he healed sick from different times. He did a lot of things. But why would he leave his own faithful worker, brother, sick? Because he did not have power at all times to do all this healing. Even the apostles only on certain occasions and special occasions on when God chose it for them to do, heal the sick. And I know that may sound strange teaching to some, but it's true nevertheless. And we'll find it true all through the book of Acts and in the epistles. And here he says, uh, as we look at it again, he says, But Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. And then he goes on to say, Do thy diligence diligence to come before winter. Why did Paul want Timothy to come before winter? That's verse 21. Because it was getting cold. He needed that cloak. That's right. And he wanted to at least try to knock off some of the chill of that dungeon he was in. It would be good to have a cloak or a coat if you're in a wet, damp dungeon waiting for execution. He says, Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linnaeus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. He tells of all those that greet Timothy. But notice he said in verse 21, Do thy diligence to come before winter. You know, we might use that as an expression of the text. In fact, I have a message on that too. Come before winter. That means that there's a time that it'll be too late. Suppose Timothy said, well, you know, it's getting too cold. That's the fall of the year, and it's getting too cold, and, and it's time. Why don't we wait till next spring or summer to come? Paul wouldn't have been there. Paul couldn't have received the fellowship. He couldn't have had the things that he sent for. He could not have had any comfort. He wanted to be comforted by young Timothy, a young preacher that he had a great investment in. Remember in the book of First and Second Timothy, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And he tells about, Paul telling about the faith of, his, of Timothy's mother and his grandmother. And he says, I'm persuaded, Timothy, that, that that faith is in you also. Isn't it good to have those that would pass on their uh, scriptural knowledge and their prayers and their, their Christian life to us that we might have faith to? Pass it on to someone else. Whatever you have, use it for God's glory. And just by chance, it may end up in some life of someone else. Just like the good work we spoke about of our Marines a little bit ago. Isn't that a wonderful thing that this little girl would save so many lives just by sitting near, almost up on top of a mine that would have detonated any time any one of them came by. And she's having them all go around it, sitting there. She just sat there. And look what she did. Well, think of what you and I can do with all the benefits that we have, life and health and strength and freedom in our country and a church to come to and a witness to give. And you can invite someone to this church, can't you? Not impossible for them to come. Pretty hard to get some out. I know that. I've tried it. But others, they may just take you up on it one of these days. Say, I want to go too. I like what those people have down there. And if they ever see and know us a little more closely, they may really like it. And so let's try to promote the things of God as best we can. But anyway, he says uh, in the last verse, and we'll 
will uh, conclude. In verse 22, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And we'll let that suffice for our lesson in the book of Second Timothy. We'll take up something else this Sunday night, the Lord willing.